If you've got your pew Bible, this one, it's uh, page 181 in the second column. You can follow along if you like, or you can, you can just listen. Let's uh, read about what Jesus does for anyone and everyone who believes in him. It's, I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Good afternoon, fam. It's good to see you all. Before we dive into God's word that Arne just read for us, I have one more announcement for you. Um, it is with our youth ministry. Um, we have a, a camp that many of our youth go to in August, what we call youth camp, where we partner with one of our sister churches, Covenant Fellowship Church, to, to do that. And before the kids gather for uh, a week of activities and games and preaching and worshiping and fellowshipping, we like to gather to pray. Um, and on Saturday, July 27th at 2.30 at Covenant Fellowship Church, we'll be gathering uh, to break our fast starting the day before uh, and just invite God to move at youth camp um, in our midst. So we ask that you just join us in prayer. And if you're a youth um, and you're signed up, please don't miss that event as you'll get that first opportunity to interact with your team and uh, to, to just go to the Lord for him to move. Let me pray for our word today. Jesus, we pray that you would take the exclusive centerpiece of our life. That everything that we do and we say, every decision that we make, would be oriented, motivated, and empowered by the cross of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, we're in the middle of a mini-series on worship. We've been in the book of Matthew, but we took a break, and Tim last week led us through uh, our beginning sermon on worship. Coming out of Romans 12, Tim defined worship as giving God what he deserves. You probably remember that. And then he led us to understand that that means giving our whole lives as worship, not just our voices or our Sunday attendance, but consecrating our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And today, we look in Ephesians 2, where we're going to figure out what God has called to be the centerpiece of our worship. But before we look at that and take it out of the text, I want to illustrate the concept of centerness. So if you're good with your imagination, you don't need to close your eyes. But maybe if you're someone who's easily distracted, just close your eyes for a second. Because I'm going to ask you to imagine a situation. Imagine that you've grown up in an orphanage for as long as you can remember. And you've never known about your parents, who they are, and basically have no knowledge about where you come from. One day, as you're walking through the orphanage, you look up and notice that the door to the attic is open for the first time. So your curiosity's pricked and you climb the stairs, enter the attic, and there's a big chest in the middle of the room. You wander over, you open the chest, you pull out a folder that has your name on it. And you start leafing through the pages only to find that you are the child of a billionaire. You're shocked. But you read on and you realize that both your mom and your dad died valiantly in war. You not only have an incredible inheritance, you have an amazing legacy to grow up into. I wonder what that moment would do for you. Even before you told anybody, as you were walking back down the steps of the attic, I bet you would have a whole different way of looking at the world. Maybe when you went to the playground and that same bully picked on you again and again, what would have once caused you to respond in anger, now you are an impenetrable wall. You're confident. The truth of your identity would change your response. It would change everything about you. But you know what? Truths that are at the center are ones that do that for us. They color our whole lives. They make everything different, but not all truths are that way. Take, for example, the game Bejeweled or Candy Crush. How many of you guys like that game? Candy Crush, Bejeweled? We've got some, some hands up. Or maybe Clash of Clans. Pick your game that's just the time waster, the one that's just busy. You know, that truth should not be centered to your life, right? The level that you have achieved should not be like your starting point of conversation. And in fact, if you were to respond to someone's insults with like, yeah, but I'm like level 4,000 in Candy Crush, they would laugh at you, right? It's hilarious. Because that truth shouldn't be in the middle. It shouldn't be centered. It shouldn't be governing, motivating, or driving your life. And you know what? There are, there are other truths that maybe should be a little bit more center than they actually are. Think about how short life is. Think about how weak our bodies are. Does that really motivate us to eat healthy and to work out? For some of you, you're like, yeah, it does. But for me, I'm like, I'm hungry. That looks delicious. Get in my belly, right? I'm not thinking about the long view in that moment. 
Now, some of you guys aren't like that, but that's how I am. Or worse yet, there are some things that dominate and govern our lives that shouldn't. Like a certain basketball player announcing at 1 a.m. that he was not returning to his team, but heading across the country, Kawhi Leonard. And suddenly people across the nation were crying. Their whole week colored by a person that they barely know. Or maybe for you, it's how many followers you got. How many likes that last post that you worked so hard on that you released at just the right time of the day so it would get maximum visibility you had. You got to do it for the gram kind of mentality where your whole life becomes just oriented around this glowing rectangle. You post a story, but first you've been looking all day to find the right picture, to find the right filter, to put the right font above it. And then to post it only to see your heart skyrocket or plummet based on how many people interact with it. And things like that, getting moved to the center of our lives, can be absolutely disastrous. Because what we allow in the center of our life is going to determine what we worship. What we allow into the center of our life is going to determine what we worship. Are we allowing our followers to be the centerpiece, the thing that matters most to us? Well then, man's approval is what we're worshiping. Are we allowing the amount of money that we have or don't have to be at the center? Well then, maybe we're worshiping materialism or autonomy, independence. But God has told Christians He's told you and me in Ephesians 2 what the center should be for us. That is the cross of Christ. This is our main point today if you're taking notes. The cross is central to our worship of God. The cross is central to our worship of God. It's what we should sing most about. It's what we should meditate on most. It should color the lens that we view life through. It should be the primary thing we think about when we're processing through sufferings. We should sing with joy, knowing that it was bought with a price. And we should be confident as we move through life, knowing that our Savior loved us enough to die for us. And maybe you're newer at Risen Hope, and you kind of picked up on this. You're like, every song we just sang about it had blood in it. And you're like, what? Is this a creepy church? What's going on here? Or maybe you've noticed that a lot of our sermons seem to end up at the cross or proceed from the cross. Or maybe you've noticed that the books in the book nook like, have like gospel culture or gospel discipleship or gospel evangelism tied to it. Language that points us to Jesus' death. Well, I'm so glad you're here with me if you're wondering why that is. Or if you've been with us for a while and forgotten. Because Ephesians 2 gives us three reasons why. Three reasons why the cross is central to our worship. And the first one is that the cross of Christ makes our worship true worship. Makes our worship true worship. Everybody worships, and it's only a matter of what you're worshiping. Some people are in denial. They pretend like they don't, but their emotions reveal what they truly do worship. Or their money. They spend all their money on something. It reveals how much they love that certain thing. 
Or they lose it and suddenly they're crying out in pain because their idol that they've been worshiping has been taken away. And some people don't pull any punches. They're like, I am all about me. I'm all about my brand. I'm all about putting myself forward, about my happiness, about my self-love. And they even market books all about it. They're pulling no punches that they worship themselves. And then there are folks who worship God. They would say they worship the God of scriptures. If you sat down with them for dinner and asked them and said, you know, what do you believe? Do you, do you worship God? They would say, yeah. But if you pressed them and you said, like, how do you, how do you know you're worshiping God, really? They would point to something like, man, my moral standards are really high. Or I come from a great family. Or I've been going to church since I was. They point to something outside of what Ephesians chapter 2 points to. This passage in verse 13, where we're going to be in a second, tells us there's only one authenticator of worship. So let's read. Meet me in verse 13 right now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what do we read here? First, you who were once far off. There's a reality that each and every one of us were separated from God. And verses 11 through 12 that came right before our reading today underscored this. They tell us with very, very uh, harsh terms that we were aliens and strangers of, of Christ. Our worship wasn't welcome. Our worship wasn't true. But now this text tells us we have been brought near. So if you are in Christ, your current state is near Christ and you're no longer that stranger or alien. So when we seek to give God what he deserves, like Tim said, by giving him our life, we can know that we're accepted. But why? There's one reason in our text. Let's keep reading. It said, Paul says, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the instrument of bringing us closer to God, bringing us to a place where our worship can actually proceed to God is the cross. Christ's blood spilled for us. And look at it with me in verse 16. Paul again points to the cross as the means by which he brings us to himself. He says that he might reconcile in himself both to God and in one body through what? Through the cross. Again, the means by which our worship is true worship is the cross where Jesus poured out his blood for us. Because the cross makes our worship possible, it needs to be central in our lives. But we often focus on other stuff. How many of you remember the story in the Old Testament? about Mount Carmel where Elijah takes on the prophets of Baal. You guys remember that? Well, if you don't and need a refresher, Elijah was a prophet of God. His God was Yahweh, the same God that we worship. And there was a whole bunch of people that were worshiping this false God named Baal. So they had this showdown. It's kind of like a Western. That's how I like to imagine it. Not actually what happened, but you know what I mean. It helps me visualize it. You have Elijah who's on one side and he builds an altar. And you have the prophets of Baal over here, and they build their altar, and they say, whoever can get their God to call down fire from heaven and burn up a burnt offering is the, tr the one who worships the true God. 
And so we see this story. It's kind of funny if you want to go look it up. The prophets of Baal start off just real confident. And they, they put their, their, their offering on it. They start praying. They're not hearing or seeing anything. So they start dancing. They start shouting. They start even cutting themselves in desperation that God would send this fire. Their God Baal. But there was no answer because their God didn't exist. And you know what? Way too often those who know Christ still run around in circles trying to get their worship approved by God. Too often, even though we know the cross has brought us near, we go through all kinds of crazy dance steps to try to prove we're worthy of acceptance. And, and though worship is broader than singing, I find when we gather on Sundays to sing, a really helpful um, kind of litmus test to how I'm viewing worship. As I start singing, as I start entering in, how am I processing why my worship is accepted? Am I starting to think about, well, I have my devotions. Am I starting to think about all the people I told my faith to? Am I thinking about that one person who's not here who I think I'm better than? Friends, there is only one only one means by which our worship is authenticated. It's not by radical acts of devotion that we see in the prophets of Baal. It's in the cross of Christ. So when we gather to sing, we sing about the cross. We bring it to mind because it reminds us we haven't earned our way here. When we pray in the morning, we know that our prayers are heard by God, not because we're super eloquent, but because we pray in Jesus' name, amen. That's not just the end of a sentence or like, goodbye, God. That's literally saying, there's no way my prayers would be answered without Jesus' cross. But because I have his cross, I know that you heard me just now. The cross makes our life worship possible. So when you decide to give up watching that show, a couple episodes in, because there's just become content in there that's objectionable, you know does not or God. You're super into the story, but you give it up. You know that that act of worship to God is accepted, not because you did anything too dramatic to earn favor, but because the cross has guaranteed that your worship is heard by your God. So, so nothing else matters without the cross. No tears, no lament, no singing, no radical acts. Without the cross, all of that can be cast aside. You can have the voice of Tori Kelly. You can have the fingers of Kirk Franklin. You can have the generosity of Chris Long from the Eagles who gave up his entire salary last year for charity. You can have the selflessness and the courage of Dr. King and it doesn't matter without the cross. The cross is the sole authenticator of worship. But with the cross, friends, with the cross, we know that our worship is accepted. What happened in that story with the prophets of Baal? Elijah had his turn. 
After he got finished trash talking the prophets of Baal for a little bit, he said, all right, pour the water on the altar. Now pour it again. Now pour it. He poured it three times, dug a trench so that it was basically a little pond. And then he prayed to God. And God sent a fire so hot that it not only burned up the burnt offering on the altar, it burned up the wood and it burned up the stones and it licked up the water in the trench so that everybody had to admit that was standing there that Elijah's God was true. That's the way that our worship becomes once it's seen through the cross of Jesus. There's, there's two options. No hope for true worship or immovable hope for true worship. There's no middle ground. Through the cross, you're accepted. For any other reason, you're not. Psalm 40 says this. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. And in Isaiah 1, 11, it says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. The Israelites had, had, had done thousands of sacrifices, a crazy number, and not a single one of them would be able to purchase eternity with God, eternal favor with God. It was a faith in a future sacrifice, and that faith and the future sacrifice was of Jesus Christ. So the first reason why the cross is central to our worship is because it makes our worship true worship. That's our first point. Second point is that it makes the cross, uh, sorry, the cross makes our worship our worship. It makes our worship our worship. It takes an exclusive individualized experience and turns it into a community one. I'm going to describe something right now. I'm going to ask you if you know what I'm describing. Imagine a room full of dancing bodies, jumping and smiling late into the night, while a DJ is in the front of the venue providing the atmosphere. Instead of the live music being sent through the loudspeakers, it's broadcasted into headphones worn by each attendee. To an outsider, the event would look like a room full of people dancing in complete silence. Does anybody know what that's called? Silent disco. It's a new phenomenon that's kind of sweeping, especially colleges right now, where instead of having a DJ mix, you know, a party where everybody's doing their dancing thing, I don't do that because I can't dance, ask Missy. Um, they, instead, everybody has their own headphones on, listening to their individual playlist, dancing up a storm, killing two birds with, uh, with a stone, really. No more noise complaints, right? And then also, no more having to listen to the lame DJ's playlist. No more catering to what other people want. It took an already crazy activity and made it even more individualizing. That's just one example of how our culture is becoming more and more and more individualized. Think about it, right? Avoid grocery stores and community pools because you might have to actually speak with a human being. Go straight to the self-checkout line. Right? Or better yet, order it online, deliver it to your door, get a pool in your backyard. Right? It's an increasingly individualized society. Rather than getting to know your neighbors on your block, four or five, maybe you know the ones on the other side, 
but all the way down the block, instead know like thousands of people superficially through this glowing rectangle. And part of the consequences of sin is that it separates us from each other. And we've got a big problem in our country where we're polarized into individual little pockets. And the cross of Christ specifically deals with that. It makes our worship our worship. Let's look, look at it in verse 12. Verse 12 says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So we're separated from Christ. We were also alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. We were separated from each other as well. We were too. Like it wasn't just these Israelites and these Gentiles. They had a massive division. I mean, the word Gentile to a Jewish person just meant anybody that wasn't an Israelite. And there was a long-seated, nourished hatred that, they, that an Israelite would have had for a Gentile. They were even called pagans and dogs oftentimes. And beyond that, even the law that God gave Moses for Israel put dividing walls between the Jews and the Gentiles where they were not allowed to intermix. There were divisions there. There were walls between them. They were solidified. They were high. They seemed insurmountable. But notice that the cross of Christ didn't just reconcile us to God. It reconciles us to each other. Look in verse 13. But now you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and broken down the wall of hostility he's made us one through the cross through his blood and he goes on paul says that christ did this by abolishing the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two walls of hostility totally destroyed in christ by his cross so that the two groups that never would have intermixed now become one man. They are that unified that they could be called one man because of the work of the cross. Later in verse 16, he tells us that Christ reconciled us both to God in one body. And then later, he completes the complete reversal of 11 and 12. He says that the Gentiles were aliens and strangers, but now through the cross of Jesus, this is verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then in verse 22, it's all through this passage. In him you also, that's the Gentiles, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So friends, we don't receive the cross of Christ individually like we're having a little silent disco of salvation going on. And we don't worship that way. We shouldn't at least. The cross makes us one body. We have an issue. Every instinct that you have right now is probably driving you towards individualism. It's what we hear on our radios. It's what we see on our televisions. And at work, it's what you hear about all the time. And we have to fight against this. We need to claim the truth the cross provides in our unity together. 
There are some that, that need to hear this sermon today. You need to hear that worship isn't an individual thing. It's not just something about your devotions with God. You need to be worshiping with other people. That's what Jesus did in his cross. This is what John Perkins has to say about Ephesians 2. He says, For too long, many in the church have argued that unity in the body of Christ across ethnic and class lines is a separate issue from the gospel. And there has been the suggestion that he, we can be reconciled to God without being reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see that in Ephesians 2? In the same breath, Paul was saying that we're reconciled to Christ and into one body. The gospel doesn't give us an individualized route. We come to the Lord, are authenticated in worship by the cross, and that joins us necessarily and reconciles us to the body of all those who believe in him. So John Perkins goes on and says, Scripture doesn't bear that out. We only need to examine what happened when the church was birthed to see exactly how God intends for this issue of reconciliation with the body of Christ to fall out. Those people that were saved initially, when the apostles took the gospel to the, to the immediate Jerusalem and to the rest of the world, they were diverse. They were from all ethnic backgrounds. They were from different classes. They were rich and poor. The gospel necessarily unites us together. And remember, worship isn't just your singing, right? It's not just about gathering in one place and singing songs with people that are different than you. It's about living with people that are different from you. We should daily break bread with each other and offer worship to God and share the word. The cross of Christ brings us together. And it's central because it makes our worship our worship. Now, friends, listen, without the cross... We will not be a body. We cannot make ourselves unified any more than the Gentiles and the Jews could do it. So why is it that we are so incredibly, beautifully diverse here? Is it because we have great musicians? No, we do. It's not. It's not because we have exceptional preaching, though Tim is exceptional. It's not because we have a great children's ministry, though Promise Kingdom is a blessing. It's the cross that has done this. Amen? There are nominal groups, there are businesses, some of which y'all are a part of, that claim unity and diversity by pointing to statistics and representation of different ethnic backgrounds and class and um, social status but we're not aiming for attendance here we're not even aiming for just representation here we're aiming for true unity we're aiming for us to think about each other the same way we think about the limbs of our bodies and that's only possible friends through the cross of Christ there's only one possible way that this can happen, and it's if we cling to the cross. We can sing songs in Spanish then, if, if, if it's that Sunday, even though we don't necessarily speak that tongue, because you know what? We are all about the cross. We're not about our preferences. 
We can sing songs we're unfamiliar with, styles we don't like, or we can sit with people that frankly annoy us. We can go to a small group that isn't our first choice. We can do this because it's not about our preferences. We didn't come here because of our preferences. We come here because the cross is amazing and it has brought us together. Oh, brothers and sisters. Amen. I, I agree. Amen. But hear a word of caution. Whenever we have blessing, there is a temptation to have the blessing replace the cross of Christ as the center of our worship. We can worship our own sanctification. We can worship our own outreach. And we can worship our own diversity. We have to be careful that the cross remains the center. The second we focus on something else, we will lose everything that we have fought for here. The power is not in statistics. The power is not in programs. It's not even in my preaching right now, your attendance here right now. There is power in the blood of Jesus to break every chain. The power is not in our diversity. The power is in the cross. We don't worship our diversity. We worship the God we see in a cross that's so powerful that it actually can gather crazy different people around it. As we link arms, not because we like each other, but because we are compelled by the cross. And that makes us brothers and sisters. And we grow together to be one family, one body, praising one Lord and one spirit, being baptized into one baptism, not because... We have it all together. Or because, man, this is just a cool group of people. But because the cross is amazing. And the cross is central. It's the centerpiece. It should be the coloring of your lens for life. It should govern your thought process. It should motivate you. The cross is central. It makes our worship true worship. It makes our worship our worship. And the cross is central. Point number three. Because it makes our worship triune communion. Let me just define that word triune. It's a fancy word for three. We worship a God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet one God in beautiful, magnificent mystery. And what we're going to find in this text is that the cross makes our worship specifically triune. Let's read. Um, in, in chapter 2, in just a second, the chapter that comes right before this, if you were to scan through it right now, Ephesians chapter 1, you would notice over and over again, 11 different times, this weird phrase, in Christ. And then if you went to chapter 2, where we're at, even the verses before, in verse 1, and you counted up every single time that phrase, in Christ or with Christ or in his body, that kind of language is used, you'd see it eight more times. And maybe you've read that before and you've been like, is that Paul's um? Is that Paul's like? Right? No. That's not just a filler statement. That statement is filled with theological importance. In verse 13, Paul specifies Part of what he means by being in Christ. Read with me. Verse 13. Paul says, We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he says, For he himself is our peace. Did you get that? 
What did Paul just say we receive when Jesus dies for us on the cross? We receive Jesus himself in an internal way, all the way down into our hearts where the place of peace is. We receive Jesus. Saints, don't miss this. Through the cross, Jesus doesn't just reconcile us together. He doesn't just make our worship true worship. He actually makes our worship one of relationship. He joins us to himself. He actually moves into your heart. We have his power living inside of us because he is in us, right? We are in Christ and he is in us. Here's what that means. It means that we can have confidence and peace when nothing in our lives should indicate that. You know what else it means? It means we're in Christ. It means that everything that Christ did for us, everything he did in his perfect righteousness, in his sacrifice, now we are linked to that and he is our representative. He is our advocate. We are in Christ. So that when he died, I died. When he rose, I rose. And now that cross, I'm on that cross. Because I'm in Christ. He himself is our peace. Jesus, he bore the wrath on the cross so that he might give us his peace. He gives us a real relationship. Theologians call this union with Christ. That's not all he gives, though. He gives us triune communion. Let's look in this verse. Verse 18 says, For though, sorry, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And then later in verse 22, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Oh my goodness, think about this. If your mind's not blown, you just got to think a little bit more. The God who existed before anything else, the one who it's made for, everything. The Father, Son, and Spirit's beautiful heavenly family relationship. Now we share in that relationship. You don't just have a best friend on earth, you're joined to the triune God in real relationship. Why? Not because you look good. Not because of we look the way we do, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, you're filled with the Spirit and unity. Because of the cross, you have Christ inside you as your peace. Because of the cross, you have access to a real and precious relationship with the Father as a child of God. So why did Jesus die? That cross was embarrassing. That cross was agonizing. That cross was deadly. C.J. Mahaney writes, The personal desolation Christ is experiencing on the cross is what you and I should be experiencing. But instead, Jesus is bearing it and bearing it all alone. Why alone? He's alone so that we may never 
be alone. Jesus paid a price we can't understand. Beyond anything you've even tasted. But he purchased blessing that's equally beyond anything you could ever fathom. Through the cross, he brings us to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The cross is central in our worship because it makes our worship triune. It gives us the filling of the Spirit, access to our Father and Jesus inside of us. But don't get this wrong, friends. When we sing about Jesus, when we talk about Him, when we seek to let the cross orient our lives, Father and the Spirit are not missing out. The Spirit loves to fill us, open our eyes to understand the cross better. In fact, later in Ephesians, it says that the Spirit's giving us gifts and equipping us so that we'll grow up into our union with Jesus Christ together. The Father isn't begrudging when we behold the cross and we sing about it. He delights to, for you to see His love for you in the cross. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He crushed His Son to show you how much He truly loves you. The cross is a window into the love of the triune God for us. It's the key to the door that barred our communion with our triune God. The cross is central. And we're in Christ. So how, friends, how central is the cross in your life? Do you daily meditate upon the glories of Calvary? Do you daily walk the road to Golgotha and consider your Savior? I remember a preacher when I was a, a young boy, maybe, maybe 10 or 12, he was preaching about the cross and I was so affected by how worked up he was and how passionate he was. And I said, I want that. How can I have that? It's like, do you have like a special gift? And he said, no, it's very simple. Just spend time with Jesus every day for a long period of time and you will live with the cross in the center and with Jesus as your longing. It's the cross in the center of your worship. How many of us are suffering right now? Experiencing sleepless nights, anxiety, plagues, filled with pain or fear? Oh, suffering friend, do you see your struggles, in light of the suffering of the Savior? Do you meditate and pray about your own trials only? Or do you see the suffering of your Savior and how, as Patty shared with us earlier, that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, the glory that Jesus is receiving in His suffering, we share in through our suffering. There's power for healing in the wounds of Jesus. How many of us feel unseen, lonely, or don't know the compassion of Christ or the permanence of the Spirit? Are you resting in the love of God seen in the cross when your spouse mistreats you, abandons you even? 
Do you see that Jesus was abandoned for you so you never have to be alone? Are you daily there? The cross at the center, are your eyes fixed on him so that you will have perfect peace? Is your worship flowing to the cross, to the Trinity? And as I was prepping, we're coming to a close here. Uh, we won't have time to sing band. Um, I, I just had a feeling that there's somebody here, maybe a group, that is feeling kind of jaded right now in your walk with, with God. You, you've had joy in your walk in the past, and you, it's been some time since, and you, you're, you're just not even having any desire to have a restoration of your joy. Well, friend, I believe this is for you, and it's for all of us, but particularly you. Think about the power and the joy and the glory of the cross. We were hopeless and lonely and dead, but Jesus entered into our hopelessness. We were hopeless because we knew that our sins deserved death. We were cursed. And though Jesus never once sinned, he willingly took that curse on himself so that the moment he was born, he knew that it was only a matter of time before he died. We were in death. And now we are in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are alive and secure in the righteousness of Christ because of the cross making us in Christ. And Jesus, he entered into your loneliness. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember it? He was praying to the Father only hours from being seized by the soldiers, and we read, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. That perfect one who enjoyed endless communion with his Father and with the Spirit was troubled. Communion with God, bliss with God, replaced with despair and loneliness and death. He entered into our hopelessness. He entered into our loneliness and into our death. And on that cross, we heard him say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is he was forsaken. He was made an alien and a stranger to his God. He was broken. He was crushed. He was ripped from his father's side. He was filled with wrath in place of blessing. He was crying out because he wanted you to know the joy that he had with his Father and with the Spirit. That's what the cross does for you. Jesus took your sins. He brought you to God. And you know what? We're in the story that we read. We're not the faithful disciple. We're not the faithful women. We are the ones who did the sins that held him on the cross. We're in the story because it's our sins that put him on the tree. We were sleeping on the ground in the garden when we were supposed to be praying, drooling on the ground that Jesus sweat drops of blood upon. We were seizing his body and ripping his clothes from him, pressing the thorns into his brow. We were shouting in the crowd, crucify him, when he refused to defend himself. 
The cross shows us that we are sinful, that we were hopeless, that we were lonely, that we were dead, but that God has not left us alone. God has not left us hopeless. God has not left us in our death. He has come into our grave and he has made us alive. And thus, the cross must be central to our worship. So friends, I just want to, as I'm closing now, I'm going to pray for us in just a bit. Um, I just want to ask you, commit to daily meditation upon the cross of Christ. There's no quick way to keep this cross at the center. There's no saying, there's no book for you to read. The only way is for you to faithfully, regularly spend time with your Savior meditating upon what he has done for you the cross. Your worship is true because of it. You are together right now in this congregation because of the cross. And you are joined to your triune God because of the cross. The cross is central to our worship. And so think of your life. Think of areas that are governed and controlled by something else. Desire for approval. Money. Fill in the blank. The cross must drive our worship. The cross must motivate us. The cross must be central. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, knowing this prayer is accepted because of the cross. And I pray that this church would keep the main thing the main thing. That we would be a church that sings and claims Christ crucified his death and resurrection as our central rallying point, as our incredible window into your love for us, O oh Father. Please help us not to allow anything else to displace the cross from the center. Please help us even now to repent and to come afresh to following you and meditating upon the cross if we have allowed it to be dislodged from the center. Let me pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In just a minute, oh, thank you. In, in just a minute, I want to um, just invite anybody that doesn't know Christ, that was just compelled by the, the message of the cross to come and speak to one of the pastors here at the front. We'd love to walk you through what it looks like to, to have that cross, that death, actually be applied to your life as well. Um, and for, for anybody that may need prayer for healing, this is our first Sunday. So if you can also come up, we'll have a different uh, section over here. We'll be praying for you if you have some physical ailment. Um, and with that, let me just send you guys out remembering, let's keep the cross central in our relationships, in our conversations, and in our worship. Amen?